0: This week on the Podcast, it's all about England as we're joined by the BBC Rugby Correspondent Chris Jones. We discuss Owen Farrell's red card, a Polish red card, will England miss them? We also discuss Anthony Watson's injury and uh, we look ahead to the World Cup. Is England side of the group and the lucky draw really going to help them, or has Borfe got too much work to do? Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Top Royale podcast. Please tonight. know got
1: the usual man back in the studio. Zachary, how are you? I'm not doing too bad. I apologise for kind of my crackly or raspy voice. I've just got back from California, so I'm a bit a bit jet-lagged, a bit tired. But, yeah, refreshed and not really refreshed, to be honest, but ready to go, <laughs> nonetheless.
0: Yeah, ready to push through anyway, so... That's it. So we've, we thought it's... No better man to talk England than Chris Jones. We've got
2: Chris back to have a big deep dive into England. How are you, Chris? Yeah, good guys. Good to be back on. And, uh, well, yeah, what a what a, what a, a crazy like month of August it's been. I think we all thought it would be a bit of a calm before the storm, but it's been a, a kind of storm before the storm, hasn't it, for all kinds of reasons.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't know where – it's that question of, like, where do you want to begin you know, like yeah, there's just, know, even yeah. even today with the injury news and and just the turbulence just over the, the warm up matches. I don't know, Chris. Like for you, like what's really stuck out to you? I know there's a, there's a like it's a, there's a lot going on. It's a swirling storm. But what kind of really sticks out to you with this kind of I guess mess?
2: I, I suppose the thing that sticks out for me when you look at it like as an overview is how everything that's going on is kind of the opposite to the way Steve Borthwick would want to operate. You know, if you if you looked at Steve Borthwick's time at Leicester, it wasn't like a long time, but he did take, it, take a little bit of time to get the squad, get players in, get players out, to get a game plan together. But it was all under the radar, wasn't it? It was all behind closed doors. There wasn't much media fuss. It was Leicester, which is obviously a massive club in England, but also the club game doesn't have the same media attention as the international game, or, you know, which is obvious. And he was able just to go about his business methodically, slowly, quietly, and build and build and build and, build and, and ultimately get to the Premiership final and win it. It's just been the complete opposite with England. Um, everything is, is huge news with England and, as much as he's probably wanting to do things quietly and off the radar, he just can't because it's England and because of the stuff that's been going on, because of the red cards, because of the injuries and because of the poor performances. So I know this is not the way Steve Baltham would want to operate. Um, and it's a huge challenge for him and everyone in that England camp to just kind of try and park the outside noise, go look, we believe in what we're doing and we can still do something this World well Cup because I can't remember a build up like it for England. I know in twenty eleven there was a player strike or there were they was they were on the verge of, of kicking off over image right payments in twenty eleven, but when you look at all the the stuff that's been going on, it just has um has made all the best laid plans go to waste.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people compare it to 2007 with more of the on the pitch. The fact the form is really bad when on the pitch. So can you enlighten me and Zach? We're a bit, I oh no, we're a bit younger in our younger years. So we don't yeah. really remember <laughs> the build up to 2007. <laughs> I'm not trying to say you're old or anything, oh, but...
2: I, I, yeah, like so, so, so without trying to do a whole, uh, yeah. Uh, this century English rugby history (laughs) seminar, (laughs) post 2003 England went into a bit of a slump and there's actually some great books out there that people have written kind of recapping 2003 20 years on and as part of that people look at what happened after the World Cup and just the way that I think the RFU and English rugby just assumed because success had happened it would keep on happening but there were still massive cracks in terms of Club country, the fact that all the England players from the 03 final, having just played 100 plus minutes, then went and played for their clubs that weekend, having come back from Australia, is absolutely crazy. There were no kind of um, professional game agreements and, and player stand downs like there are now. And obviously, the club country relationship still got a long way to, to go to get to that sort of total harmony, but it was, it's miles better than it was in 03. So I suppose my long way winded way of saying that English rugby even though it would won the World Cup in 2003, was not set up for success. And when you look at all that great generation of players, there were a lot of retirements. Clive Woodward quit in 2004. Andy Robinson took over. Probably a guy that, you know, was was more suited to technical coaching than being the, the head man. There was no coaching plan necessarily. The players, they'd probably been over-reliant on this generation of players with with... Uh, Delalio and Johnson at and, and the back row and everyone. Anyway, long-winded way of saying that England were really, really bad between 2003 and 2007. Like, a poor <laughs> team. Andy Robinson got sacked. Brian Ashton came in, wasn't ripping up trees. They, they had some decent wins, 2007, especially they put 60 points on Wales in the, in the summer. But when they got to the World Cup, it was a bit of a mishmash of players. Some guys from 03, some new guys... There was unrest about the game plan. They squeaked past the USA. They got past Tonga, I think it was. But it wasn't... They weren't up to much. And then they went to Marseille to play Australia in the quarterfinal. Uh, no one gave them a, a cat in hell's chance. Good Aussie side, weak England side... And they scrummed them off the park. Won 12-10, I think it was, in Marseille in a beautiful sunny sunny day. They went to Paris and played France. France froze. England bullied them. Wilkinson drops the goal at the end and they made the final. So after all this turbulence <laughs> that was set up to be the most embarrassing World Cup in English rugby history, they got to the final. Only lost 15-6, a, a, a sort of... A try that wasn't from Marqueto. So a lot of people are going. Well, understandably, you can have a rubbish build-up. You can have a rubbish pool stage. You just got to get it right once, twice, three times, and you can win at World Cup, as many t- South Africa four years ago can testify. Yeah, it's true. But 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 having said all that, you can't. This can't be the plan to have no form, to have no momentum. <laughs> you know, to have no cohesion, to have no discernible game plan to have a bit of a disjointed selection policy, just because we've seen what the French did in 2011. We've seen what England did in 07. We've seen what other teams, France in 99 going from sort of naught to 60 quite quickly. Funny things happen at world cups, but yeah, England have to rely on kind of the spirit of 2007. It seems as we speak now, even though you know they've still got a bit of time to get things right. You, you, you would, you would hope from an English rugby point of view. Yeah.
0: And I guess if we want to talk about some of the news that had happened, there's, They've lost, obviously, Owen Farrell for the first two pool games and um, believe in a for the first pool game. Do you think, I know I run this narrative of Zach quite a lot, that you need, you don't need to win your pull these days to go deep into a World Cup. So it really, what Borwick needs to be telling the players is it, it's not that bad that we're missing two. Because it looked like he was building the Saracen spine again and he's got two massive parts of it ripped out. So
2: is it is it going to be that
0: kind of narrative that those pull games maybe don't matter as much, as long as you get through Beach Pan, really.
2: Yeah, and look what South Africa showed us four years ago. They bucked history and won the World Cup having lost a game, which used to be something you couldn't do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, mean, I was going to say I'm convinced. Like, obviously, you can't be convinced it's not happened yet. I'd be really surprised if anyone from that side of the pool, the, the the proper side of the draw, if someone wins all seven matches. I just don't see how a South Africa or an Ireland or a New Zealand or France win their pool and then win that quarter final against the, the the rival pool i can see exactly that Ali, that whoever loses opening night new zealand france could still win the world cup i could see ireland topping the pool getting knocked out in the quarters and england wh- who would they rather what do you rec- what do you guys reckon there's not much in it you know if the, if the opposite if they had a, a pool and they had south africa and then a drop off to the next or new zealand or ireland australia and wales you'd either you don't want you want to avoid Wales potentially because of the emotional factor Gatland what you know how up for it Wales will be but you want to avoid Australia and Eddie so either way it's a banana skin but equally they'd rather have Australia or Wales in a quarter than four even five other teams so you're right I think they can easily lose to Argentina still go out the pool and still get to the semi-finals but and it's a big but What are they, how are they going to try and play? You mentioned the Saracen spine. That'd be great if you had Jamie, George, Toje, Billy, Farrell, Elliot Daly all firing. Some are, some have got injury concerns. Some are suspended. Some have got a lot of pressure on their shoulders. Some haven't hit their straps for a couple of seasons. So is he going to rip it up and suddenly say Marcus Smith starts at 10? Very unlikely. Are they going to tweak their game plan? You kind of feel they have to. The issue is, in two thousand and seven, England had a monster scrum with Andrew Sheridan and had Johnny at ten. What do you guys think? What is England's way of getting deep into this World Cup? At the moment, we're just struggling to see what it's going to be.
1: It's a great, it's a great question, and it's probably something that I genuinely don't know. <laughs> I suppose that's kind of why you're on the podcast. <laughs> <We're>,
2: uh, <laughs> well, I thought that's the we thing want, I, I we thought, want to know. <laughs> but I think we thought England would have this really efficient pressure game you know like a mm. really accurate um super yeah. tidy set piece kicking a lot from nine but a brilliant kick chase and just did do things so efficiently mm. but in the first three games they've been the opposite of efficient they've been kicking without chases they've been the wrong guy's been putting up the the the, the high balls they've gone cross field and then not competing. all of those little efficiencies that you thought steve borthwick would bring in like he did with Leicester, yeah we haven't really seen they've still got a good lineup but their mall's not been been brutal so that's been i think the the bit of the concern that if steve borthwick had a template it's not necessarily worked yet will it work in another two three weeks come Argentina, japan come the quarters it might well it might well be good enough to be Wales or australia it's then when they get a big dog from the other side do england have the game plan the firepower the personnel to, to win one of those matches that's what we're not seeing at the moment um, yeah. because I think we're still working out you know what Ireland are about they get into their shape like instantly don't they, they, they it's like yeah. it's, a, it's it's subliminal they're programmed to how to play we know the box have got their power game but they've, they've got a bit extra on top of it now we know how New Zealand are, you know they they always play the same kind of style with their you know quick ruck speed and looking down the short side and stuff we're still struggling a bit with England Scotland wow what an identity they've got these days I know so that's 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 the big imponderable, I think, for England. Before this this August, we thought, right, three, four games for them really to show what they've been working on over the two months. And we haven't really seen it.
1: There's really yeah. not been a lot. And it's just been... And then, and if anything, I feel like... I know that yourself and others are very much talking about the fact that this England team just seems to be going nowhere. And I think it's almost reflected in how the, the English public are reacting to it. You know, uh, Springbok, New Zealand... Um, is tomorrow night sold out in Twickenham? Yeah, the England game. They're actually, I think it's clo- they're closing off the top tier of Twickenham. They can't even fill it. It's just like there's something not quite right there. I know there's a big kind of South African community in London, but it's not that big. Um, yeah, you know, so it's just yeah, it just seems like they're just kind of going nowhere, like you were saying, and just um, and that's just kind of it's concerning, not just kind of for this World Cup, but I think even going forward as well. Yeah, I think you that's know? a
2: really it's a really interesting point about. The crowd and yeah there, there's there's extenuating factors with a train strike and with the new zealand and um south african expat communities here but england and the rfv would have wanted saturday at twickenham to be a great kind of joyous farewell you know yeah it's a send-off a, you know yeah yeah send the brave boys off and come back with the trophy kind of thing and that hasn't seemed to happen and so much of what's going on across rugby and in english rugby a lot, a lot of the they've been dealt some pretty rough cards with with covid and financial situations, but yeah. equally it is a it is a team that has struggled to win hearts and minds for a few years now. And I know that's a massive priority for Steve Borthwick. Um but it really starts and ends on the pitch, doesn't it? And as, as much as you might mean well, if you're not if the team's not winning and the fans can't see discernible progress, then they're gonna vote with their feet. And it could definitely get turned around. It doesn't need much. It's still good players. All yeah. the talk yeah. for the campus it's it's close to clicking. You just can't necessarily keep telling England fans it'll come, it'll come, it'll come, because sometimes you've got to look at the look at it and go, well, we we need some more evidence rather than just just hearing, you know, how well you're training and stuff. Yeah, no, 100%. yeah and I think
0: that news, I think the news today was because of how big the news of Farrell and stuff was that Watson's news kind of came out of nowhere. But that's a bigger biggest blow yet in terms of losing an actual probably hard to say. If you were to name world-class players in the England team, there's a few up for debate, but I don't think Anthony Watson anyone can debate. He would be in the question for a World 15 when he's on form, and he seemed to have been getting his form back. So, players like that are a big loss in terms of if Borfwick now picks a like-for-like replacement in terms of going for a... I know the names like Radwans and Oli Hassel Collins and people like this haven't really worked out, but does he go for X-Factor now, or do you think it's looking like he'll Pulling a Johnny May, and then it looks like more yeah. down that road of Last Dance type of vibe, and just get all the boys yeah. back from 2019 and try and recreate
2: it. And that's the concern, isn't it? Like experience is great, but it can't just be experience for experience' sake. If yeah. these guys, for whatever reason, aren't in form, whether because you know they, I I always felt four years ago was England's time. Everyone said, "Oh, it's a young side," but it was also a really experienced side. They had a, a shed load of caps. They just were around about 27, 28. But now some of those guys are 31, 32. And I think in top-level rugby, when you've been trucking for 12 years, 32 isn't maybe as young as it used to be. I know there are plenty of examples that that fly in the face of that, like Johnny Sexton and, you know, Danny Kairsten going strong at 36 and Dan Cole. That There are plenty of examples, but I just... I don't think it's 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 one size fits all. And I think a lot of these players were at their best in Japan 2019. And I don't know whether you know Nancy Watson's another great example. He's had he's a load of injuries. Johnny May has had an injury plague four years. He's a world-class players, but they've had injuries. Can they be reliant to be as effective as they were four years ago? Look at Billy, look at Mako, look at Jamie George, look at Mario how, how many of these guys do we do we say hand on heart are playing better than four years ago? Mm. There's not many, and so yep, yeah, you can get the band back together from twenty nineteen but if it's just a pay limitation of that band, it's not going to sell many records,
1: yeah, no you're right, you're right, and it just kind of yeah, it just kind of feels like that kind of there's a real disjointedness with with the squad and with the team well from from an outsider looking in, it could be different in as, as an insider, you know you don't know, but you're right, like I think that combined with. Just these players aren't quite like what they were. And I think you're definitely right too. Like 32 and not is not what it used to be, you know, just because of the intensity of, of, and the physicality of rugby these days as well. But um I suppose Chris kind of we kind of take a more optimistic side to things. Um well maybe maybe it's not optimistic at all. But like what do you think is realistic for this England team? Kind of what, what if you're if you're Steve Borthwick, what are you actually like what's your goals for this World Cup? semi final you
2: know, semi final yeah, I, yeah I, well i think before this august <laughs> semi final i think first things first you get out your pool and you try to get to marseille and you have a thrash at, at wales or australia or potentially fiji or georgia um but because the draw so because the draw is so sympathetic compared to the other side imagine yeah. if england were, were were in scotland's position and i know that this is all done on rankings at the end of 2020 and england had done really well at the 19 world cup and then had a you know, a 2020 without a good win percentage, so they, you know, maybe, the, maybe they've earned the good pool. So you, the, the way it was done, it, we can all kick off about it, but it's happened. Um But if England lose in a quarterfinal to Wales, they'll still feel that a massive opportunity missed. Form or no form. Likewise, if they lose to an mm. Australia side that's changed regime and has been taking beatings left, right, and centre, although went quite well in the need, in like they've lost all four games under Eddie. So. England still have to target a semi-final. And I wonder whether Borthwick's selection, by going for experience, is is kind of thinking, right, this team can get to a semi and then we'll have a go. But if I pick a load of kids and we lose in a quarter or get knocked out in a pool, that then damages confidence going to the Six Nations. I think Borthwick sees this World Cup as a bit of a shot to nothing. Then his real tenure as England head coach with his planning will start in earnest for the 24 Six Nations, when he will cap new people, when he will probably try and really stamp his mark on the team. I think he's found, he's inherited a a situation he's not been happy with. And he's trying to work out a way to make England as efficient and effective as possible at the world cup on the evidence of August. It's not going to go too well, but I think by going for experience, he's thinking this, these guys can still get me to a semi-final Whether they can or not. Time will tell whether he's put too much faith in certain players who maybe aren't quite on it anymore. Again, who's to say, but I just think the way things have happened over the last few weeks, guys, with the suspensions he didn't plan for, the injuries didn't plan for, and you look at the players who are coming in with injury concerns or little to no rugby, like Aaron Dillon, Daly, Sinclairs hardly played, Chesham's back from a minging ankle injury, um, Jack Walker's not played, the second hooker at the moment is a 22-year-old who's just broken into the, his club side, like, you, yeah. you you rack up all of the the little question marks, and it's it's painting a pretty ominous picture that yeah. England just have to have to navigate. there's no other choice they they can't they can't do anything else but go, okay, these are the cards we've been dealt. Let's see what Saturday brings. let's see what team uh, squad can assemble on Monday and go from there
0: yeah, and then just just finally on this weekend, if England do tear up trees, put fifty on Fiji is it does it does it really matter what happens this weekend because Obviously, Fiji tier two side, you should be putting Fiji away. Is it a bit of a, a lose-lose this weekend? And if they don't look good, it just puts on more pressure or is it just a chance to get the shackles off? And
2: I, Yeah, it's a good question. I think Fiji are, are a bit better than that. I think if England beat Fiji by 40, we can't have it both ways. We always talk up how, you know, whenever I talk about Wales, I talk about how dangerous that opening game against Fiji is. And then if we turn around and go, oh, they, England put 50 on Fiji, it doesn't really count. I think if England win and just play some rugby and, t- t- and actually just string something together, string some phases or, 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 or you know, manufacture something that isn't a rolling wall try or a close quarter effort, actually tr- like, st- you know, properly put some shape together. England do that, score four or five tries. That could be what they need just to kick, kickstart things. You know, they're, they're telling us it, it it could click and maybe it could. And then you go and play an Argentina who are, the really good side, but they're still not in the top six in the world, or so. Um, and then you go to Japan, and then you can really hone your hone your style against Chile and Samoa before you go to go to the quarterfinal. So it is not all doom doom and gloom for England, but another poor performance, struggling to beat Fiji, and they're going to be really limping onto that Eurostar, aren't they? So yeah, it's a it's a it's a really big game, but, which I didn't think we would say a month ago. I think we'd have seen a lot more to be convinced that England can do something this World Cup. Now it feels again we're saying look a performance has to come sooner rather than later.
0: No, and hmm. you're right about Fiji. They played some good rugby against France there, so maybe they are a bit of the dark horse to that side. And they're looking at that side, thinking Fiji World Cup final, no problem. But <laughs> we'll leave it <laughs> there anyway. So
2: no, big thanks, Chris, for coming on again, and thank you, yeah, Zach. Any time. Hopefully, we'll chat when um yeah when we're when the tournament's underway. It should be it's going to be going to be a great tournament, isn't it? Yeah. Quickly, it your uh your <laughs> predictions. So we've got we've got them on record.
1: Oh, that's oh, that's good. That's good. Um, I'll go first. I was, well, past couple of weeks, I was actually at a wedding and I was in California. Friends get married to a New Zealander. So I've had a lot of chat with New Zealanders and they've convinced me that I think New Zealand will win. I think they just look really, really good. um, And they just look fired up and ready to go. So honestly, for me, it's New Zealand. I just think they'll, I think they'll have more than France. This is coming from an Irishman,
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah no, I, I don't think really that's admit
1: good. it.
0: No, I, I've said France throughout the whole cycle, and uh, yeah, I know New Zealand are coming good now, but I think, yeah, New Zealand beat France in the first game, and France go all the way. I think that's yeah, what I'm, I'm going to go I
2: yeah. you, Chris. I'm i, I I've got the same philosophy as Ali, but the but tweaked the other way. I think France beat New Zealand on the opening night, but then New Zealand ah, nice. beat. Beat Ireland, probably. I can see Ireland topping the pool, then getting knocked out in the quarters. Oh, man, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. (laughs) I think it's the first time ever New Zealand have been uh, arguably going to peak coming into World Cup. Yeah. Always going back every single tournament since like 1991. Best team in the world in between World Cups. They used to always cost them. And now actually they've had a really dodgy cycle and are mm. coming good in world cup year so yeah I, I i'm i think new zealand but they could easily be gone in the quarters as could some really good teams. yeah i know Actually,
1: france <laughs> ireland yeah you know you just use south africa even we haven't even mentioned those guys like you just yeah it's that side of the draw that's that's gonna be fun yeah. well not if you're an irishman but <laughs> fun to watch
2: <laughs> at least yeah yeah
1: but no, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming no, on price. this evening the chat. Nice, we always man. really appreciate it. Thanks, okay, have a good
0: one. To anyone that's made this fun podcast, follow, follow us on all our platforms. Spotify at the Talkaway podcast, Twitter at Rugby Tell, Instagram at the podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, but are everywhere at the Tell rugby. So please, follow us everywhere, and we'll catch you next week.